Good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? There is something wonderful about being in the presence of the Lord and the church as we gather every Sunday morning. It's always the right place and the right time. And there is always a beautiful thing about being at the right place at the right time. I'm going to tell you a story of what happened yesterday. Gennett and I were walking in Jasmine Park. And we thought, let's go out. It's, it's a beautiful sunny day. Uh, and let's take Aitan out. And we went there. We drove to Jasmine Park. And we were walking. We walked around and through the Jasmine Park. And then we came to the place where there's the, basket, the basketball court and, and the swings. And there were lots of children playing there, families and parents enjoying. And so we said, OK, let's, let's just get there and Let's show Aitan all the kids, and, and they were playing, and they were happy. So we went there, and we stood and started watching. Aitan was watching, and he was enjoying. And there were some parents and their children using the swings, and, and they were playing, and they were having fun. At this particular moment, there are four swings. On three of them, there are three children playing on one of them, there is one of the moms who was swinging and enjoying with, with her uh, kids and laughing. And we were standing there and watching. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, there is a little boy walking towards the swings. And he was walking on the side where the mother on the swing was playing. Nobody saw him. He was just a young toddler who seems to have started just walking. And before everybody, before anyone knows it, he was right there on the heat zone, and nobody saw him. And Gennady and I were like, "Watch out! Watch out! Watch out!" And and like the mother had swung forward, and if she came back, like that baby was gone. All right. And then when we shouted, there was one one of the parents who was swinging his daughter. He saw what was going on, and he like ran and picked the boy up, and it felt like it was a movie. <laughs> and the baby just made it like for the split of a second. And so we, we went home, and I said to Gennett, you know, the reason why we went out today was just to save that boy. We were there at the right place at the right time. Nobody saw that baby. It was just us, and that baby is fine now. And there's something beautiful about being at the right place at the right time. And the presence of the Lord is always like that. It's the right place. It's the right time. So welcome to the house of the Lord. So this morning we are continuing our series we started a couple of weeks ago on the genesis of faith, looking at the life of our father Abraham. This morning we're having a closer look at the promise that God made to Abraham, and we will learn a great deal about that. Let me read this scripture, and then I will pray, and then we'll get started. This verse is found in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 5. The Bible reads, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, here we've come again before your presence. 
We're here to learn. We're here to hear from you. Open our hearts. Open our ears. Give us understanding that we may know, learn, and comprehend the truth of your word. Help us and guide us understand the mysteries of your word and your kingdom this morning and give us grace to live the word that we hear and to apply it in our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One of the things that I often reflect about when I think of the Old Testament patriarchs and matriarchs is the duality that exists in their life. On the one hand, they lived life just like any other person. They faced the ups and downs of life. They laughed and cried. They won and lost. They fell and they rose up again, just like any ordinary person's life. But on the other hand, God used their life as a writer would use a canvas to write the eternal message of God's love to humanity, which would get its ultimate fulfillment in in Christ Jesus. So in this sense, their life was also a shadow of the promise of God that was to come, right? When you read the book of Genesis and the narratives of the story of Abraham, you may be tempted to think about it just as a historical account or a story. But when you approach those historical narratives from the revelation that the Holy Spirit gave to the apostles, such as Paul, and when you rely on the Holy Spirit to, to teach you about about those stories, you you will be surprised to learn a great deal of the mysteries of how God was working through their life and in the lives of these Old Testament figures. Now, under the illumination of the Holy Spirit, you will see that their struggles were a shadow of the struggle that the Messiah would endure. Their obedience was a shadow of the obedience that that Jesus would show to the Father. So their steps were perfectly ordered by the Lord because it was not just their life that they were living. Their life had an eternal meaning. Let me give you one example. Now Steve mentioned the story of how Abraham and Sarah went to Egypt because there was famine in the place they were in. And along their way, Abraham was fearful that the Egyptians would kill him because his wife Sarah was beautiful and that they would take her away from him, and and, then that they would kill him for her sake. So he said to her, just say that I am his sister. Now by letting her lie this way, he placed Sarah in a great danger. Because now Pharaoh wanted to take her as a wife. And you will find this story in the book of Genesis chapter 12. And Abraham also makes the same mistake in Genesis chapter 20 when he went to a place called Gerar. And as they approached the the, the place called Gerar, he again told his wife Sarah to say, I am his sister. And now the king of Gerar, King Abimelech, again wanted to take Sarah as a wife. Again, we see Sarah in in this dilemma being uh, exposed to danger. Now, when Pharaoh tried to take Sarah as a wife, this is what happened. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 17, we read, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So this is Abraham's wife, and the Lord stepped in to protect her. 
So Pharaoh let her go. When King Abimelech also tried to take Sarah, here is what happened. In, in Genesis chapter 20, verse 3, we read, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. So King Abimelech also let Sarah go. Now, in both these occasions, despite Abraham's failure in putting his wife in danger, God was there to protect her. God was there to protect Sarah. And remember, as we will see uh, soon, Sarah is the person through whom God's promise of a child, God's promise of a seed to Abraham would be fulfilled. So God is preparing her to carry this seed of Abraham. And now we go to the New Testament and, and we get an even greater revelation of who Sarah is. Now, I won't go into greater detail on this because I know Pam is going to preach on this next week. But in Galatians chapter 4, Paul says, and he declares that Hagar and Sarah were symbols of two covenants. All right? These two women from whom Abraham had a child, Paul declares they are symbols of the two covenants. So Sarah was not just a woman called Sarah. In the grander scheme of God's work, she was a symbol of the covenant of promise. So when God was protecting Sarah from being taken by Pharaoh or by Abimelech to be a wife to them and to carry their seed, God was not only protecting Sarah. God was also protecting his eternal covenant of promise, which would be fulfilled through Christ. God was preserving the image of the new covenant from being corrupted because Sarah was the embodiment of the new covenant. All right, so now you have the full picture of why God was protecting this woman, because she was not just an ordinary woman. She is the New Testament. She is the embodiment of the new covenant. So when we look at the promise that God made to Abraham from the vantage point of the New Testament, we learn about how the gospel of salvation by grace through faith has always been God's plan of redemption for humanity. This was not an afterthought. It has always been the plan of God's redemption for humanity. And we often think the gospel of grace or the gospel of salvation through faith is a New Testament message, but in, in reality, this gospel message was first preached to our father Abraham. And we read in Galatians chapter 3, from verse 6 to 9, just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now, in these verses, we learn two important things about the redemptive plan of God. The first thing we learn is what God's actual plan of redemption is. Paul uses the language of accounting and the language of commerce here in describing how Abraham's faith came to be regarded as righteousness. 
Now, if you read different translations of the Bible, you would come across descriptions, and most of them maintain this language of commerce. The New King James Version says, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The word accounted is a word used in accounting and in commerce. The New International Version uses the word credited. And Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. The voice translation uses the word counted. Abraham believed God and it was counted for him as righteousness. The message version uses the word turned and other, other translations use the word imputed. Now all of these words signify some kind of transformation or processing of the initial input of faith such that when the output comes, it comes out as righteousness. So God first introduced in Abraham his method of accounting to reconcile us back to him. And that accounting method is called in Christ. When faith is processed through God's accounting method called in Christ, it comes out as righteousness. So when Abraham's faith was accounted, when it was credited, when it was counted as righteousness, you see that God has amplified the initial input of faith so that the output was even greater. The best example that I can think of to understand this is this. Imagine you walk into a bank. You approach one of the tellers in the bank and you give them a $100 bill to deposit into your account. The teller accepts the bill. He or she processes it through the system, and, and they give you the receipt. And lo and behold, when you look at the receipt, it says your account has been credited with a billion dollar. You wipe your eyes, and and you look at the receipt again. It still says a billion dollar. So you pull out your phone to quickly check your account, and, and as soon as you turn the internet on, there comes the notification, the ding sound, <laughs> and it says your account has been credited with a billion dollar. And by now your heart is racing, you are starting to believe it, and you don't even know what to feel about it. You think this has to be some kind of joke or prank or, or some kind of human error. So as a last resort, you turn back to the teller and ask if she or he made an error in crediting your account with a billion dollar because you only deposited a hundred dollar bill. The teller then gives you this beautiful and, and peaceful smile and says to you, it's done, it's finished. It's all yours. Go in peace. Now I know this is a gross understatement of what Christ went through so that our little faith could be credited as righteousness and earn us the forgiveness of our sins and a place in the eternal kingdom of God. But, I, but what I am trying to communicate is the message of how the grace of God and the work of the cross is so transformational that what God requires of us is a faith which could even be 
as small as a mustard seed. When that little faith is processed using God's accounting method called in Christ, it becomes righteousness. Just like the $100 bill being credited as a billion dollar. That's what faith being credited as righteousness means. I, I, I'm sure you, you get this, this, this message into your spirit and into your heart because that's what Christ did for us. That's what the cross really means. That we could just believe and God would credit a billion dollar into our account. When that faith is processed in Christ, in the midst of the heavy burden of sin, it becomes freedom. When our faith is processed in Christ, in the midst of sickness, it becomes healing. God amplifies it. He transforms it. And the love of Christ's church is so transformational that it gives strength to the weak. If you are tired of life this morning, if you are feeling hopeless, I would encourage your soul this morning that we have a God who credits to us way more than what we deposit. I would encourage your soul this morning to deposit a little faith concerning the situation of concern in your life and see how God will transform it. So the first thing that we learn from Galatians chapter 3 is this redemptive plan of God called in Christ. And Paul again makes this point clear by stating in Galatians chapter 3 from verse 15 to 18 that the seed that God promised to Abraham was Christ. In verse 15, Paul writes, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one will annul or adds to it. No one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So here is Paul making an exclusive declaration that the promise that God made to Abraham concerning his seed was in reference to Christ. Christ was the ultimate seed that was promised to Abraham. And we clearly see here that that is the ultimate, the ultimate promise that God made. And it was through Christ that both Abraham's descendants and all of the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. The second thing that we learn from Galatians chapter 3, in addition to the redemptive plan of God, is the fact that this eternal redemptive plan of God never changed. It has always been the plan it still is the plan, and it will continue to be the redemptive plan of God. Christ is the ultimate solution to human, humanity's problem. It has always been the solution. It is still the solution. It will continue to be the solution. Christ was always God's plan of reconciliation between God and us. And reading back to Galatians chapter 3 from verse 8 to 9, Paul declares, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So here you have the word foreseeing. So when God approached Abraham and preached the gospel to him, God had already foreseen 
that the Gentiles and the future generations are going to be blessed through Christ. So God's redemptive plan never changed. Then in verse 17 to 18 of Galatians chapter 3 again, Paul continues and says, And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So when God approached Abraham and, and preached the gospel of salvation by grace through faith, God has already foreseen that the Gentiles and all of the descendants of Abraham were going to be saved through that same gospel. The law of Moses that came later did not change it, did not modify the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace is the eternal foundation of God's redemptive plan. God never changed his mind, and that plan of redemption still works, and it is still God's redemptive plan for us today. Now, I want to finish by reading the following from the book of Romans. Paul, again, in the book of Romans, chapter 4, reiterates the same message in his writing to the, to the Romans. And we read in, in verse Verses from 1 to 8 of Romans chapter 4. I can, may the band, the band can come up. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So here, Paul again makes that same declaration of the salvation that God, that God planned for humanity was through Christ. And that salvation comes to us through faith. And Abraham believed God. And his faith was credited to him as righteousness. He did not have to work. He did not have to toil. He did not have to show effort. It was not up to him. It was not what he did. But he believed God and that was accounted to him for righteousness. But is this scripture relevant to us today? Does it, apply, does it apply to us the same way it applied to Abraham? And the word of God says yes. If you read further below in Romans chapter 4, in verse 3, Paul addresses this question. And he says, Now it was not written 
for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. The scripture that says, and Abraham believed God and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. This thing, Paul declares, is not applicable just for Abraham. This was not written just for his sake, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Oh, what an encouraging word. This is church. We too can believe in God and that God will credit our faith as righteousness because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just as he amplified Abraham's faith and credited it as righteousness, he can do that the same way for us today. I just want us to take a few minutes this morning to express our faith in God. If anyone needs a prayer, feel free to come up to the altar and, and there will be people praying with you. And, and I encourage you to come up and deposit your faith before God. Whatever concern there may be in your life, feel free to walk up and pray and deposit your faith before God so that the Lord will transform that situation. And I would also like to take this opportunity to make an altar call. If there is someone in here who's never had the chance to put their faith in Christ concerning their salvation or concerning their eternal life, come and declare your faith before God today. And Abraham, all that Abraham had to do was to believe God and to declare that he believed God and God credited that faith as righteousness. It's as simple as that. Let the Lord transform your life. Let him give you the eternal assurance of salvation in Christ Jesus because salvation belongs to the Lord. So don't despair and don't carry the heavy burden of life. Don't carry the heavy burden of sin. Come and lay it before the Lord and let him give you his rest. So let's all be in the spirit of prayer. If you feel like it, you can come up to the altar. If not, you can just say your prayers wherever you are sitting, but declare that you believe in God this morning. In the midst of circumstances that may be surrounding you, lift up your eyes to heaven this morning. Lift up your eyes to the Father. Lift up your eyes to the Father who is so eager to transform your life and to credit your faith as righteousness. He is such a helping Father. Deposit the little faith that you have today in His hands. You can, you can trust Christ to transform your life. You can trust Christ to reach out to you in whatever situation, in whatever circumstance that you may be. For Christ Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is powerful. He is great. Everything in heaven and earth belongs to Him. Everything in heaven and earth answers to Him.
Sickness answers to him. Disease answers to him. Sin bows down before him. We have a Lord. We have a Father that we can rely on. Heavenly Father, we bless your name this morning for the gospel of grace through which you saved us. We stand in awe of the truth of what you have accomplished through the cross so that our faith would be credited as righteousness. You gave us your righteousness. You removed our filthy rags and clothed us with the righteousness of Christ. We praise your name for the unconditional love that you bestowed on us. We praise your name for a covenant, for you are a covenant-keeping God. And I pray this morning for grace to be released to enable us to walk in the truth of this word throughout the days of our lives so that we will never rely on our own strength, but on the strength of the mighty one who defeated death and sin. And I also pray for anyone here this morning that has not experienced the saving grace of the Lord to receive the light of heaven. Let hearts be opened to receive the King of glory. And in the precious and mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.